This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Tonight is episode number 25, The Happy Warrior. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, redemption, and recovery. To begin with tonight, I'd like to remind my listeners that this is not an AA meeting. This is not meant to stand in place of a recovery program. And I'm not a mental health professional. Please respect my anonymity. And of course, this will always be a free podcast devoted to service. I did that pretty quick, I guess. uh, That's good instead of rambling on and on. Um, so yeah, number 25, I'm pretty excited about it. And tonight's episode is the happy warrior. Ode. We are the makers of, we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams. World losers and world forsakers on whom the pale moon gleams. Yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. With wonderful deathless ditties, we build up the world's great cities, and out of a fabulous story, we fashion an empire's glory. One man with a dream at pleasure shall go forth and conquer a crown, and three with a new song's measure can trample a kingdom down. We in the ages lying in the buried past of the earth built Nineveh with our sighing and Babel itself in our mirth and overthrew them with prophesying to the old of the new world's worth for each age is a dream that is dying or one that is coming to birth. That was Arthur O'Shaughnessy, a great poem ode that you may have heard from time to time and other quotes and movies and things like that. It's beautiful, beautiful work. So, 25 sessions in, and I am. I want to thank everybody who has emailed me, DM'd me, called me, talked to me about about the podcast and what it means to them. Um, I've gotten a lot of really great support, and it it means the world to me. Of course, I'd love to see more listeners. Not because, well, yeah. Well, let's be honest. I mean, it 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 it, it helps your ego when you've got more listeners, but, um, but the truth is, is that I just want to make sure that, you know, the message is getting out there to those who might be sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. And, you know, we are all suffering. We all are fighting a hard battle and we certainly all could use just a little bit of respite from time to time. And I hope this, this podcast can serve as that respite. So what is the, the point of my podcast this week? Um, well, I'd like to follow up on some things that I, I've discussed earlier and, and, and the recovery program that, that I'm walking. I just spent a fabulous weekend with a gentleman uh, who is a world-class martial artist, and he is somebody who um, I admire greatly. Uh, he has stayed in my home. I've stayed in his home. This is a guy who trains um, high-level operators 
of the first order um, in our nation's military. And when I mean the first order, I mean the varsity, you know, the highest echelons and, um, and trains them in hand to hand combat and things like that. And, and yet is not what you would expect, you know, in terms of, I mean, he's certainly a man's man for sure. And, uh, you know, a rugged looking guy in a way, but very soft-spoken, articulate, um, not a huge guy at all. And just, just a real gentle soul inside though. He's, you know, been very accustomed to and comfortable with a level of violence with which most humans, uh, especially I'd say Americans are unaccustomed. Um, and that's not to judge one way or the other, um, just simply to say the truth. And I spent the weekend with him and, and it honest to goodness, the, the parts that were my favorite were when we were sitting and eating and talking. And, uh, I just feel like I learned so much from this guy every time. And, and I feel like it's so cool to have men of deep meaning in my life that I can ask advice from and, um, be humble and then, of course, get my face beat in. You know that that you got to have a little bit of that. Uh, that that helps with the humility factor. But so, where am I going? Um, I am, as I've announced on a prior podcast, getting ready to take a sabbatical and kind of see what's out there. You know, I think I think there are a lot of different images going through my head. Um, I'll start with this. You know, for the last fifty one years um, in some small measure, some much more intense, I have been the, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to use too much hyperbole here. I don't want to use phrase like enslaved. I don't want to use words like, you know, owned. Um, I don't want to use words like, um, I, I mean, I've been called those things. I've been called Different people have called me their bitch, things like that. Um, what it really is, is it is it for whatever construct, however it was built. I, I certainly had a role in building the walls, but I built a prison cell of fear and, and codependency and longing to please um, and a self, a lack of self-esteem, a, 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 a self I wouldn't say it's self-deprecating, but certainly a, a an environment of self-loathing that that was a, a prison of my own making. Certainly, maybe there were keys there, but 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 whatever it was, um, some very crucial decisions in my life were made that I did not have full autonomy over and full choice. Um, whether or not you, you would agree with me, I don't know. I mean, I think there are some people who would call me pejorative names and tell me to man up and put, put my diaper, take my diaper off and, and kid up and get, get going. And I think some people would say, well, no, we totally get it. You know, they're just, you you've always been operating under somebody else's rule book. Somebody else has exerted authority over you. You've always had a partner or a silent partner of some sort dictating the shots. Um, are there are there decisions in my life that are momentous that were mine and mine al or, or certainly my role in him was was mine and mine alone? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but they're few. They're very very few. I would say the decision to have children was something that I totally embraced. 
I absolutely have never for one day in my life regretted that decision. My, my girls are the absolute best thing that's ever happened to me, and they are the best thing that, that life has to offer. I, I just, I, I really care for them wholeheartedly. And so I can say that decision, you know, the decision to have um, a child, have two children, you know, uh, was fully something that I invested in and committed to. And I think I did a, I, you know, with the exception of how I was as uh, a husband at the end of our marriage in terms of being the dutiful, loyal, you know, uh, lapdog, you know, I, I was not that and that I paid a price for that. But other than that, I, I think I'm a great dad. I know I'm a great dad. And I, I work really hard to be a great dad. And I made some rules when I when I first had kids and I've never broken them. Pretty proud of that. Um, but a lot of other decisions in my life either were not mine or they were sufficiently influenced by others such that I don't know if I own them or not. And so, you know, here I am. Um, I have for the last five to six years been um, in a spiritual wasteland as a sort, as, as a result of a high conflict divorce in which I was denuded, I was um, deforested, <laughs> I was, I was de whatever you want to say it, I was, I was depleted, um, I was, I, I was, everything, everything except my brain, uh, and the right to have certain time with my kids was taken from me. Um, my honor, my integrity was blessed or blasphemed. Uh, my, my, my body, everything, everything was, was put on the chopping block, so to speak, or on the auction block. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that, you know, it's like the, every man is fighting a hard battle or you got to walk a mile, you know, there might be guys out there who are just like, kid up, don't worry about it. Who cares? Why are you so weak? Yeah, okay, maybe I've got a glass jaw when it comes to taking that type of punch. Um, you know, may, maybe I can take a beating that, that you can't. You know, maybe maybe I, I've been resilient, so extraordinarily resilient, and you guys have listened to some of my other podcasts where I've gotten, you know, my face beat in as a kid by a parent, and I took it, I survived, I did a lot of amazing things despite that. Um so I don't know, you know, all I can say is that, you know, after five years, um, I have made some decisions and some, some moves that are going to, they're going to, they're going to end the conflict once and for all, I hope. Um, I am attempting to, to, to end something that was pretty bad. And it was pretty horrible, and it was never okay. It was never good. It was always mildly bad to excruciatingly bad. And I'm and I'm ending it. And it's gonna cost me, um, but uh, but it is. And um, and so I'm left finally with you know in in my business, you know I have had tormentors and people associated with my ex wife who have, you know, hounded me and pressured me and. Um, 
you know, and now that's going to end. Uh, again, I hope. Um, I'm optimistic uh, this time. You know, it's like this time he's not going to hit me in the face. Well, no, this one I really do feel like I'm 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 armed. So, um, but you know, that sort of opens up. It's 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 like this moment where I don't know if I'm the guy running behind Forrest Gump in the movie, and he stops running, and all of a sudden I go, "Hey, what do I do now?" Or if I'm, I really think I'm, I'm Forrest Gump there. I just, I went running, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, Jenny and I, I went, ran coast to coast and, you know, just doing it. And then all of a sudden you just kind of stop, you know, I think I'll stop running now. You know, I'm not trying to say that I'm going to quit doing what I do or I'm going to shut down my business or anything like that, but I am trying to answer some important questions as to what I want for the next, you know, I'll, I'll be 52 this summer. You know, I don't know. Do I have 20 in me? Do I have 30? I mean, probably most people say, you probably got 20 in you. You know, do I have 30? You know, do I have 40? You know, probably not more than 40, you know? And, and so it's like, you're you're more than halfway there. And that that's one of those things where you're like, okay, so if you're more than halfway there on your best of days, um, then what do you want to do with it? And do you, do you want this? And so I am taking a sabbatical and I am, you know, gonna, gonna work my program. I'm going to go to meetings and I'm going to live somewhere, um, far, far away for, uh, three months, you know, I'll manage things, whatever, but, um, but it's more about like, okay, I don't have that jailer anymore. You know, I'm not comparing what I went through to a prison sentence necessarily. I mean, it was a prison sentence of its own. That's for sure. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, the Gulag Archipelago or the Holocaust or it's not Auschwitz. It's not San Quentin, you know. But it's, you know, was it Lawrence Ferlinghetti said, you know, this Coney Island of my mind, you know, well, maybe it was the San Quentin or the Alcatraz of my mind. I mean, it was enough to, to want to drive me to end, to end that, 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 uh, chance of reprieve and a life, a life outside the walls. That's for sure. By just ending the life period. And, um, you know, so I'm pretty excited about that. And it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm finally excited to kind of unyoke myself from the burdens of others, you know, that like to finally live for me and not because I'm doing something because I should, or because it'll look good or because someone thinks it's the right thing to do or because, you know, now you, now you have a wife to support, you know, who's hasn't had a job since 1995. And, um, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a, a mortgage to make, you got a payroll to keep, you got, you know, all these things that become these, these, these shackles around your wrists and your ankles. And I'm done with it. I'm done with that. You know, if you're in my life, come Labor Day, it's because I want you in my life. It's because I choose to have you in my life. Um, the, nothing will ever be above my sobriety. You know, my, because that'll be the second thing I lose, you know, um, my number one goal always plus one is stay sober, go to meetings, sponsor other guys, have a sponsor, work with my sponsor, work the steps, work them again, 
keep working it. And, and the promises come true, as we know. And I mean, I would never have been able to have what I'm about to have if I had had not hit rock bottom and gotten in, into the rooms. So I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, what else? Um, you know what else? How about a little more poetry? She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes. Thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. One shade the more, one, sh one ray the less had half impaired the nameless grace which waves in every raven tress or softly lightens o'er her face where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear they're dwelling a place. On the, uh, and on that cheek and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent, the smiles that win, the tints that glow, but tell of days in goodness spent. A mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. And again, that's She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron. Think about, about the, like, walking in beauty and what, are you walking in beauty? Um, could you have walked in beauty without your suffering? You know, you think about this, and, and this is definitely tangent time, but I was thinking, I was sitting in church, which I've started going to again, uh, as a result of my you know, my spiritual program in the rooms, I've definitely found that connection to a higher power. Um, I had a spiritual awakening for sure on several occasions, but, you know, where I was like, wow, this is powerful. But there was definitely one in particular where, oh man, when the, when the night was the darkest in early recovery and I was ready to pack it in, and I knew that I shouldn't pack it in. And I knew that that would be the coward's way out. I knew that that would just be, you know, turning my back on God, everything. And, you know, and I, again, maybe I've already gone over it in past podcasts, and I'll do it again in a future one about just that moment when in, in my car with me there was a presence that asked me why asked me a question why are you going to let me out why are you putting why are you kicking me out of the cockpit and it was framed as if i were an astronaut or a um pilot of a large you know like a like you're at the stick and we're going through turbulence but you haven't crashed yet and you haven't and the, the plane's not down yet why are you going to kick me out of the cockpit? I'm your, I'm your azimuth. I'm your, I'm your engines. I'm your, I'm your parachute. I'm all of those things. Don't kick me out of the cockpit. I walked with you. I carry you. Are we done now? Right before your biggest battle? Right before you've landed? Yeah, and there was a really cool, that evening was really, 
ain't, ain't nothing coincidental or, you know, about it. And again, I can, I, I am sure there are a thousand atheists and agnostics who can sit and tell me exactly scientifically why I'm wrong. And they may very well be, they may, they may be right, but not, not in my mind. God was with me in that, in that car that night. Um, God was with me and that light, it was like, it, you know, I think about Bill W having that light come over him in the hospital bed. And if you're here now show, you know, and just, and you think about like the 12 apostles, I guess it was 11 at that point, maybe 10. I don't even know how many there were at the point of the resurrection on the third, you know, on that Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And then, you know, they tell, remember they, they tell Thomas about it. He doesn't actually see it. And he's kind of like, well, I'll see it when I believe, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, and hence the phrase doubting Thomas, you know, and, uh, and I am not a religious theologian or anything like that where I'm sure I'm butchering all this. But the point that I thought about was, you know, well, think about that. Like you have a guy and he's got like his 10 to 11, you know, most trusted friends and, 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 and believers and, they're all telling him, hey, we saw this and this happened. And he's like, I don't know, you know, it's just crazy or whatever. And and then he sees it, obviously. But my point being, you know, we know people who knew Bill W. We know people who knew Dr. Bob. We did not know them ourselves. I did not know them. I've got a plant sitting on my kitchen table that is the plant that is a, 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 a seedling or whatever you call it, a, a, a a branch or whatever, a, a stem, you know, from the plant that was in Bill W.'s hospital room when he died. I have DNA in my house here. You know, I've got, I've got, I've got living, a living thing that was part of a living thing that was in the room with Bill W. Now, what if I was like, well, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. It didn't happen. You know, I don't, I mean, that, that luxury is incredible. So, you know, to me, it's like if you, if you went back 1900 and, you know, 60 some years or 1990 some years and, and you're sitting there and you're like, well, if you followed all those generations of people who, you know, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy and, and every one of those people was somebody trustworthy, then, you know, maybe, maybe they weren't lying. Maybe this isn't bullshit. Maybe, you know, who knows? I don't know. But what I know is that I know what I saw, I know what I heard, I know what I know what happened in my life as the as as I worked the program, as I walked the steps, as I did, you know, the program of recovery as suggested by the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I still have poison from the from the arrow or from the needle or from the from the rosebud, whatever, you know, that thing, that thorn is still stuck inside me. And it's coming out, you know, it's like, it's like I got most of it out. And I, I used to say this, it was kind of like, you know, uh, remember, remember Frodo in the Lord of the Rings and, uh, you know, early on he and the ranger Aragorn, I think, and the other hobbits and Sam, I think, and, uh, I don't know who all's up on that hill, but it's before they get to the elves. They've left the Shire. They've left that in and Frodo gets stabbed by the Nazgul. And again, 
it's, I've read them twice, but it's been a long time. <laughs> so, but remember how he's got that, that sword tip in his wound, you know, and it's like they heal him, but it's like, it's still in there. You know, it's still like, he's still got that poison sword in him. And, and like you got most of it out and you did most of the stuff, but every once in a while, it's like, it's like, it's moving or something, or it's, it's heating, it's wounding. You know, that's kind of what happened to me in my divorce, you know, where I really felt like in the beginning of 2016 that like, here, I'm going to give you everything. I will have nothing when this is done. I will only have a mountain of business debt that you helped run up with your spending and left me, you know, at, at your lawyer's direction, you know, I'm, I'm teetering on the brink, you know, I'm, I'm just like, but, but, you know, my hand was made strong by the hand of the Almighty, as Bob Marley said. And, and I was like, I can get through this. You know, I'm sober. I'm a great professional. I'm a great, you know, I know I can do this. And, and then this person is like, oh, and by the way, you're going to be responsible for every single expense that our children incur. Not a share of child support. You're everything. I owe, you know, my ex, it's like, owes nothing. And you're going to pay for that out of your half of the income. And the other half, I get. Um, so we're talking significant sums, significant burden. And I was like, I can get this. And all I wanted was for the pain to stop. All I wanted was for the pain to stop. You know, just please stop smashing my face. Stop threatening violence on my firm. Stop threatening, you know, to come down there where shit's going to get real and people, you know, and we're just, you know, stop the 2 a.m. texts that I'm getting from family members that like they're watching you. We got you. We're going to get you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And 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 those are my family members, by the way. Um, and I just wanted it to stop. And I was like, I, you know, I'm buying the peace. And, you know, you don't buy the peace. Peace never gets bought. You split the difference, you're not split, you know, you're getting, you're getting owned. And, um, you know, I thought this form of surrender and, you know, a, a, a decade of, of servitude would, would bring me peace and would bring peace and harmony. And no, and what I got was, you know, tales for another podcast, just, just an, a, a long string of, absolutely depraved abuse and vile behavior by a person who really should have known better and, and supporters of hers. But, um, you know, now I'm just like the whiny bitchy black face, you know, black care kind of, uh, ex-wife, ex-husband, ex-husband, excuse me. I'm obviously dysregulating a bit. Um, anyway, back to the book, black care. What is it? Teddy Roosevelt said, you know, black hair rarely catches the rider whose mount is swift enough. Um, I think I need to, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm getting on that horse, you know, and I'm, and I'm going now that I have that freedom, I'm going. It's, um, you know, there's that, I mean, we've all seen the different cliches. It's like the scene in, uh, Goodwill Hunting where, you know, where they, where, Ben Affleck says, you know, what I want is one day I want to knock on the door and you not to answer it because you took off, you know, and, 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 and when that happens, he's happy, you know, and this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm, was it the, what song is it by Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, 
the boxer, I think, where he says, like, going to find what still remains. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to find what still remains of my autonomy, my character, my integrity, my intellect, my, my soul. You know, and, 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 you know, this isn't like eat, pray, love. You know, my ex, I went on a trip five years ago when I was, you know, right in the throes of all this stuff. I left for two weeks to just try to figure some stuff out. And it was, you know, I kept hearing eat, pray, love, eat, pray, love, you know, like, like that's, you know, like mocking me, you know, I'd hear that from my kids, you know, which obviously they had no idea what they were talking about. They were just repeating what mom was saying. I've never read the book. I haven't seen the movie. I don't. I have no idea what it's about other than, you know, I've seen City Slickers where they're like, go find your smile. That's not what I'm doing. You know, I'm. it's Atlas and I'm shrugging. I'm letting the world down and setting that globe down for a second and going, let me take a motherfucking deep breath here before I put that shit back up on my shoulders, okay? Jesus fucking Christ, you know? Like, let me just fucking breathe once and just, you know without a six-figure check coming out of my pocket or, or a threat to destroy me or something. You just, hey, let me just breathe. That's what I'm doing. I'm just going to breathe, you know? Read books that are on, that are bound on by paper, you know? Walk around and smell the lagoon. Give you an idea of where I'm going. You know? The cobblestones. Hmm. You know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write with an ink pen, with a fountain pen, you know, in a Smithson journal, you know, like something where there's paper and it's good quality paper and I can write, you know, and then I'm going to come back and I, you know, and ready to go, you know, ready to, you know, if you're in my life at that point, it's because I want you in my life. If you're not, it's because I don't want you in my life anymore. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, will I answer every freaking question? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. But anyway, that's, that's what my plan is. Who is the happy warrior? And by the way, this is Character of the Happy Warrior by William Wordsworth. Who is the happy warrior? Who is he that every man in arms should wish to be? It is the generous spirit who, when brought, among the tasks of real life hath wrought upon the plan that pleased his boyish thought, whose high endeavors are in are an inward light that makes the path before him always bright. Who with the natural instinct to discern what knowledge can perform is diligent to learn, abides by this resolve and stops not there, but makes his moral being his prime care. Mm -hmm. Who, doomed to go in company with pain and fear and bloodshed, miserable train, turns his necessity to glorious gain in face of those doth exercise a power which is our human nature's highest dower, controls them and subdues, transmutes, bereaves of their bad influence and their good receives by objects which might force the soul to abate, her feeling rendered more compassionate is placable because occasions rise so often that demand such sacrifice. More skillful in self-knowledge, even more pure, as tempted more, more able to endure. As more exposed to suffering and distress, thence also more alive to tenderness. 
Tis he whose law is reason, who depends upon that law as on the best of friends. Whence, in a state where men are tempted still to evil for a guard against worse will, and what in quality or act is best, doth seldom on a right foundation rest. He labors good on good to fix, and owes to virtue every triumph that he knows, who, if he rise to station of command, rises by open means, and there will stand. On honorable terms, or else retire, and in himself possess his own desire, who comprehends his trust, and to the same, keeps faithful with a singleness of aim, and therefore does not stoop nor lie in wait for wealth or honors or for worldly state, whom they must follow, on whose head must fall, like showers of manna if they come at all, whose powers shed round him in the common strife or mild concerns of ordinary life a constant influence, a peculiar grace, but who, if he be called upon to face some awful moment into which heaven has joined great issues, good or bad for humankind, is happy as a lover and attired with sudden brightness like a man inspired, and through the heat of conflict keeps the law, in calmness made and sees what he foresaw. Or if an unexpected call succeed, come when it will is equal to the need. He, who, though thus endured as with a sense and faculty for storm and turbulence, is yet a soul whose master bias leans to home-felt pleasures and to gentle scenes. Sweet images, which wheresoever he be, are at his heart and such fidelity. It is his darling passion to approve, more brave for this that he hath much to love. Tis finally the man who lifted high, conspicuous object to an, in a nation's eye, or left thought of in obscurity, who with a toward or untoward lot, prosperous or adverse to his wish or not, plays in the, game, in the, in the many games of life that one where what he must doth value must be one whom neither shape or danger can dismay, nor thought of tender happiness betray, who not content that former worth stand fast, looks forward persevering to the last, from well to better daily self-surpassed, who, whether praise of him must walk the earth forever and to noble deeds give birth, or he must fall to sleep without his fame and leave a dead unprofitable name finds comfort in himself and in his cause. And while the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause, which is the happy warrior. This is he that every man in arms should wish to be. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door in it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. 
we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, help every man and woman who's listening to this podcast feel the joy of the happy warrior. Amen.